Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Philippians chapter four, we come to our final passage of scripture in our series that we've been looking at called Joy for the Journey. We've been reminded that life is very much like a journey. Every journey is filled with some ups and downs and some twists and turns along the way. There are mountaintop experiences, and as you know in life, there can also be some challenging valleys along the way. There are things that we kind of expect along the way and many unexpected things. Life is very much like a journey. And yet at the same time, God spoke through the Apostle Paul to remind us that we can have joy in the midst of this journey. Not joy sometimes, but joy all the times because as a believer in Jesus, our joy is not based on our feelings, but instead our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our joy is not found in our circumstance, but it's found in the reality that the one that we know and love and serve, he is sovereign over all things and he is in complete and total control. The reality is, yes, we face challenges and yes, we face difficulties, but we can have joy for the journey when we know Jesus and we trust in him. Now, throughout the course of this series, we've seen through a relationship with Christ, all of these various things that brought joy to the apostle Paul. But today we come to the conclusion in verses really 10 through 20, but we're going to really focus verses 15 through 20 at a topic that might sound surprising to you. Most people, when they hear this word or hear this phrase or get this idea, they're not thinking of joy. And yet God tells us there is great joy in this. And that is, there is joy in generosity. Or maybe another way of saying that is that there is joy in giving. Now, I don't know about you today, but that might come as a surprise to you. Maybe today, if you're thinking about this series of Joy for the Journey, you're thinking about all the things that bring joy to your life. Maybe the idea of giving and generosity just seems like, how is that even possible? That just sounds like a shock. Well, my hope is today is that when it comes to this topic of generosity, it will not bring you such shock as it did to one pastor out in Texas many years ago. Pastor was out in Texas many years ago, and he was aware that one of the members of his congregation, a man by the name of Jim, had had a very serious heart attack. Jim was put into the hospital and he was scheduled to undergo a major operation when Jim's wife called the pastor and he said, pastor, she said, pastor, you need to go visit Jim as soon as possible. And he told her, well, I'm, I'm planning to go over there. I know the surgery's coming. He said, she said, no, 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 you need to explain to him a bit of news that I have just learned. And he said, well, what is that? He said, and she told him, she said, pastor, Jim has a long lost uncle who has just passed away. I just got a phone call from an attorney and that long lost uncle has left Jim a million dollars. Pastor, we need you to go visit him and tell him the news, but you gotta tell him calmly or else his heart can't handle it. It's a very fragile situation. So the pastor thought about it for a moment, prayed about it. He went over to the hospital. He sat down and visited with Jim and he had small talk with Jim and he prayed with Jim. And he said, Jim, by the way, let me ask you, if you were to be given a million, just, just hypothetically, if you were to be given a million dollars, Jim, what do you think you'd do with the money? Jim, without, I mean, batting an eye, he looked back at the pastor and he said, pastor, I'd give it all to the church. And immediately the pastor dropped dead of a heart attack. 
Well, the reality is, is that there is great joy in generosity. And I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to us because God unwraps that here in Philippians chapter four. I wanna ask you if you're physically able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Now we're gonna pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in this focus of contentment and then really focus in on verses 15 and following. Here's what the apostle Paul said. He said in verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived, keyword, your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now focus in in verses 15 and following. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, listen to this, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full, have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, Father, that we would respond by faith and by obedience to your word today. God, we confess today that when it comes to giving and generosity, that this goes completely against our human nature. So may for those of us who are in Christ, may today by that new nature that you've given us, may we respond in such a way that our generosity will demonstrate that you are first and foremost in our life. We praise you and love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated this morning. Joy in generosity. You know, the fact of the matter is that anytime a pastor speaks on the topic of money or giving or generosity, it frankly makes people uncomfortable. For many years as a pastor, this was the one topic that I avoided for a long, long time because even as a preacher, I was uncomfortable preaching on the topic. And in fact, it took God really dealing with my heart to remind me that this is still a calling for his church. And from his perspective, our giving is a great opportunity and a great privilege. So I believe from God's word in Philippians chapter four, God wants us to see some things. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, wait a second, pastor, like this focus on generosity, like don't you know there's a pandemic in the world and and my work is uncertain. I'm not certain what's gonna happen tomorrow, what things are gonna look like at the end of the week. Yes, we are in a pandemic and yes, there are a lot of challenging situations and yet God still calls us to be a generous people. There are others at times who get upset about, oh, the pastor's just saying this, what's he trying to accomplish? And maybe he has this motive. Can I just say to you this morning, I have simply come to share God's word so that God's word would speak into our hearts and lives in every aspect. The reality is that it's not merely just about giving. It's not just so much about an amount. It's not about a specific number. It's not about the resources, so to speak, in your hand. But ultimately what God is after is our heart. 
And as we examine our generosity and examine our giving and examine what we do, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where, where are the things that are important to us, the things that are valuable to us, they will be demonstrated even in our resources and our giving, so to speak. Surely, if entertainment is important to us in a non-COVID world, it would be demonstrated in our pocketbooks. If sports are important to us, it will be demonstrated in how we're spending our time and our money. And the ultimate reality is, is that if God is important to us, it too will be demonstrated in how we practice generosity. In Philippians chapter four, Paul begins to bring this letter to a conclusion. And as he does, he begins to speak directly to the Philippian believers ultimately about the entire background of this letter. See, this letter was written because the Philippian believers had taken a collection of funds that they had sent to the Apostle Paul through the life of a man by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had taken this generous offering and the Bible tells, them, tells us that literally the Philippian believers had blessed Paul in this way on at least a several different occasions. And so as a result of that, Paul writes back to them to say, listen, I praise God for his provision, but I also thank you. Because Paul recognized that the Philippian believers had a vital part to play in the work of the Lord. Listen to how Paul describes the generosity of the Philippian believers. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, and the Philippian believers' generosity was so profound that he raises the Philippian believers up as an example of how we should also give. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. He says, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty have overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Listen to this. For I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They're not being forced, not being manipulated. It was their willingness to do so, begging us, with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, now let me tell you about the churches in Macedonia and how they gave and they gave willingly and they gave sacrificially and they gave abundantly. Guess who was the leading church in the region of Macedonia? It was the church there in Philippians. So notice from the text four things that we see about generosity that I pray God will use to encourage us and challenge us today to be, even in the midst of a pandemic, a generous people. The first thing I want you to see this morning is simply the promotion of generosity. The promotion of generosity. By Paul taking time to praise God and to commend the believers, he is reminding them that generously giving to the work of the Lord is vitally important. But not only is he promoting the generosity itself, he's even promoting, if you will, the motivation behind it. Now, the Bible tells us here in Philippians chapter four, there were several things about their motivation that really stand out. First thing I want you to see is this. They were motivated by concern. They were motivated by concern. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you concerned about the needs of others around you? Are you concerned about the needs of others around you? Concern is not just a mental mind game. It's not just, oh, how sad, no. If we have the concern that God is talking about here, it's a concern that will lead us to action. 
The word concern here literally describes a care and a compassion that the Philippian believers had for the Apostle Paul. Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Now think of this for just a moment. The Apostle Paul had been in Philippi 10 years earlier. Really, the main believers from Philippi who knew Paul well were the people who were responsible for helping to establish that church, which means the majority of the believers in the church of Philippi had never even met Paul face to face. Ten years had been removed. It's very easy when someone's been out of your life, if you will, for ten years for them to be out of sight and to be out of mind. It would be very easy for them to forget about the Apostle Paul. It would be very easy for them to dismiss his needs. It would be very easy for them to look at Paul being in such a distant land and say, you know what, we'll let the believers over there take care of him. They can minister to him. That's their concern now. But the Bible says, no, that was not the case with them. They had a deep abiding concern for them, for him. In fact, the Bible says their concern was revived. The word that was used literally meant to blossom and to flourish. This word revive is referring to the opening of a flower. How many of you here today like flowers? Whether you like them or not, they're, they're beautiful, right? You see them as decor. You see them maybe on a centerpiece. We like the look of that. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying, listen, even in the midst of my situation, your concern for me, your love for me, your care for me has opened up and is in full bloom. It's a beautiful thing is what he's saying. Paul was in great need. Paul in this moment was in, Roman, in a Roman prison. Some say he was in like a house arrest, but we know that he was chained to a guard. His freedoms were limited. He couldn't come and go as he wanted. He didn't know how this was going to work out. And that day when you were in prison, the state did not take care of you. You were completely dependent upon the provision and the assistance of friends and a family who would support you. And here are the Philippian believers, even though it's been 10 years, even though there's a great distance, they're not concerned about themselves. They're looking at the Apostle Paul and they're putting his needs above their own and they're seeking to minister to him. They are practicing, I believe, what Paul was encouraging in Philippians chapter 2 when he said, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This concern for for, for the apostle Paul led them to literally take up a collection to give an offering, to provide support and help to the apostle Paul in his time of need. Their generosity was motivated by concern, but secondly, it was motivated by conviction. It was motivated by conviction. Let me ask you a question again. I, I wonder today if you're, if you're concerned about people around you and their needs. But secondly, do you have a conviction about giving to the Lord and to his work? Here, the Philippian believers had a conviction to do just that, but I believe Paul lets us in on why this is the case. Yes, they were concerned for the Apostle Paul, but their generosity was more than just concerned about his physical well-being. It was more than just concerned that he had food to eat. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 15. He says, you know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. It's interesting in verse 15 that Paul makes a connection between the giving and receiving and the preaching of the gospel. 
In other words, he's looking at the Philippian believers and he's commending them for their generosity. And what he's doing is this. He's bringing a connection to say, it is through your giving and receiving that the gospel is still continuing to be preached. It is through your giving and your receiving that I've been able to focus on the ministry of the Lord, that I've been able to focus on taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's through your giving and receiving that the work of God is furthered. Now think of this for just a moment. The apostle Paul had been in numerous seasons of his life and ministry where there were great needs. And many of those times he would turn not to requesting for support and assistance, but instead he would turn to his trade. And his trade was he was a tent maker. He would make tents and he would sell tents for the purpose of providing for his needs and providing for the resource. But here's the challenge. Just like we all know, you can't be two places at one time. And so the fact of the matter is, is that the more time he spent making tents was less time that he was able to spend preaching the word. And so what the Philippian believers recognize is this, is that yes, they could give towards the meeting of those needs, but also they recognize that in their giving, Paul could focus on preaching and focusing on taking the gospel. And as a result of their generosity, the gospel was able to go forward. In other words, this wasn't so much about money as much as it was about partnership in the work of the Lord. Their generosity was encouraging to Paul because with their support, he was able to focus on the work of the Lord. But it was also encouraging to the Philippians because they were able to be a vital and active part of all that God was doing through Paul. Please understand this morning that God, if he desires desires to meet the needs of his children, yes, like he did with Elijah that you heard a few weeks ago, God can provide through the ravens if he desires to. God can provide in any way that he desires, but more times than not, God provides and meets the needs and furthers the work through the faithful generosity of his children whom he blesses. Philippians, that's exactly what they were experiencing. That's exactly what they experienced as they recognized that their generosity was a partnering in the work of the Lord. Can I just say to you, Crosslink, one of the great blessings that you've allowed the pastors and I to experience and praise the Lord for throughout this COVID season has been your faithful and gracious generosity. Can, can I just say, I praise the Lord almost every single week for your amazing generosity, but I wanna personally say to every single one of you, thank you. Literally, as I think about what God has done through your generosity, when I think about literally the 650 families in our community that are receiving food on a regular basis because of your faithful generosity, even in the midst of a pandemic, I praise God and I thank you. When I think about what God is allowing us to do as we look towards this missions offering and focus on on what some of the needs are in the context of the world, to know throughout this pandemic, we were able to send a very generous gift to Salem Church with some of their ministry efforts in Staten Island. I praise God and I thank you. When I think about the ways we're able to partner in Ukraine with a camp there to help with some vital water needs that they have to be able to minister in that country, I praise God and I thank you. Because it is through these acts of generosity, literally, that we are partnering together for the work of the Lord. It's through this partnership, literally, that the gospel is being furthered and the gospel is being preached and God is doing incredible things. I remember as a young man beginning to kind of learn this picture and this principle in a way that was very difficult for me to receive and understand, When I was in high school, when I was graduating my senior year, I already knew that God had called me to preach and I was planning to go to Liberty University and I remember being so excited for that and 
One of the things I was looking forward to is that in going to Liberty, I'd gotten to know the dean of the seminary and he had called me and he said, listen, we have a, a job waiting for you in the seminary office when you get here. But there was one catch and that catch was I had to wear a tie all the time. All right, thank God for freedom in Christ. Okay, but anyway, I had to wear a tie all the time. And not only I had to wear a tie all the time, but most of the time I had to wear a suit. Now I, I had a few suits and I had some ties, but I didn't have what I needed to do that five to six days a week if I was traveling on Sundays with him. And so I will never forget a couple in our church, they were empty nesters. They came to me one day and they said, Matthew, we know you're getting ready to go to college. We know it's been your birthday. We wanna take you to lunch. And so I said, sure. So we went to lunch together. And as we're wrapping up lunch, the wife, Miss Julie, she looked at me and she said, now, when we leave here, we're going shopping. I thought that was weird. I'd never been shopping with anybody but my mother before, but okay, we're going shopping. And we went into the mall and, and we went to the mall. They told me, I remember standing in the food court and they told me, now listen, we're gonna go through here. God's put it on our heart. We, wanna, we know that you need ties. We know that you need suits. We're going shopping together. And so we're gonna be here for a while. And so I was like, okay. And so we walked into the first store and, and I'm looking at the clearance, you know, $1.99 section, you know, like whatever, the cheapest thing I can find. And they said, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. We want you to get good clothes. We want them to last. We know that you need them. You're gonna be preaching. You're gonna be ministering. And we wanna bless you in this way. And I said, well, well, what's the budget? You know, like, tell me something. And they said, well, when we're done, we will ask you if you're ready to go get ice cream. I'm just telling you, that's what they did. And I, and I, I said, okay, we shopped for what seemed like an eternity because I don't like to shop. It's probably an hour and a half. I don't know. And, and I, don't, I don't even remember. I mean, they blessed me in such an extraordinary way. And I remember, I don't think they ever asked to get ice cream. Finally, I think I was like, hey, can we go get some ice cream? They blessed me in an extraordinary way. And I'll never forget when they took me home that day that Scott, the man of few words, the husband, a local chef, he looked at me and he said, we're gonna miss you, but we're gonna be praying for you and we're here to help you with anything you need as you go serve the Lord. You know what they were doing in that moment? It wasn't about the gift, I'm thankful for the suit. And the what they were saying is, we recognize by serving in this way, we are partners in this gospel work. And can, can I tell you, it wasn't about the suit, it wasn't about the tie, but in the process of those years of ministry, praise God by his grace and for his glory, there were some souls saved and there were some lives changed and there was work done in other nations and all these different things. But here's the reality. Every step of the way, there was Scott and Julie and they were praying and they were encouraging and they were supporting. They were partners in the work of the Lord. Can I say to you, when you give a cup of water in Jesus' name, you are partners in the work of the Lord. And they recognized they were motivated by this conviction. And therefore, here's the Apostle Paul, and the Bible tells us something else. The third thing we see is they were motivated to commitment. They were motivated to commitment. Notice the statement in verse 15. Paul says, no one shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now think of this for just a moment. When you hear about the generosity of the church of Philippi, we would quickly come to the conclusion that they must have been a wealthy church, right? A lot of times people might say, well, when I have more, then I'll give. We would come to the conclusion that they must have been in a very comfortable situation, their ideal scenario, and that's why they were so generous. But here's the fact. The fact is, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, do you remember how Paul described the churches of Macedonia? Here were his exact words. They gave in their ordeal of affliction and they gave out of their state of deep poverty. 
The word for poverty in that phrase literally means rock bottom destitution. It was a word that was used to describe in that culture a common beggar who's on the side of the street asking for money. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying of the church of Philippi that in the eyes of the world, they had next to nothing. But what they had, they willingly and cheerfully gave. Please understand this morning that giving is not a matter of can and can't, but of will and want. When it comes to generosity, faith looks at giving as an opportunity, not as an obstacle that has to be overcome. The reality is that here's this church at Philippi, and they were in a place of deep, deep poverty. And yet, because the willing was present within them, because they wanted to honor God, because they wanted to please him, they literally gave generously to the work of the Lord. Occasionally, someone will say, well, if I had more, then I'd give. When I get in this better position, then I will be generous. But that is not how it works. Fact of the matter is this morning, if you're not giving out of your poverty, you likely will not give out of your plenty. Preacher of old said it this way. It's not what you do with the millions if fortune should e'er be your lot. It's what you're doing today with the dollar and the quarter that you got. Verse 16, Paul says something profound. He says, even in Thessalonica, you send a gift more than once for my needs. That sounds weird. Why is Paul even bringing up Thessalonica in this moment? Remember, scholars look at the church of Philippi and believe them to be, financially speaking, one of the most poor churches of the entire New Testament. Paul says, by the way, even when I was in Thessalonica, you were generous to the work of the Lord. Why do you say that? Because the same scholars who understand that Philippi was one of the most poor churches of the New Testament also recognized that Thessalonica was one of the wealthiest. Because of the commerce of the city, literally some writers call them the country club church. And what Paul is saying is, even when I was in the wealthiest region, even when a place where there was plenty, even then you continue to give. Why? Because their giving wasn't about what was comfortable or what was convenient. It was about commitment to the Lord and a conviction to partner in his work. It's incredible to see their commitment to the Lord. Next thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to consider not only the promotion of generosity, but secondly, the profit of generosity. The profit of generosity. When we think of giving or generosity, we don't normally think of it as a profit. We think of it as a reduction. If we're giving something away, we're thinking we're losing it. We're thinking of something that is being reduced, if you will. Uh, Whenever you give something away, for example, if you were to give a gift to someone, let's just say it was a check for $100, you know that at some point that $100 is coming out of your account, that balance is going to be reduced. And as a result of that, very few of us want to be generous. Instead, by our human nature, we tend to cling to, we want to hold on to, we want to protect all that we have. Reminds me of the, the man one day who lived a very stingy life, but he did something very interesting every time he got paid he would take out a $20 bill from his deposit. He would go home and he'd put it under his mattress. He thought one day he would use all of the money that he had saved, those $20 bills that he put under his mattress. But unfortunately for the man, he got busy and then he got older and then he got sick and he got the news from the doctor that he was going to die. Knowing that his death was around the corner, he called his wife into the room and he said, honey, I wanna ask you to promise me one thing. She said, anything you ask, I'll do. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home when I pass away. I want you to take all those $20 bills. And when I pass, I want you to take those $20 bills and put them in my casket before I'm buried. 
And she said, all right, I'll put all that money in your casket. Sure enough, the time came. The man passed away. She took all those $20 bills. She went to the bank and deposited them into account. She got a checkbook, and then she wrote a check for the entire amount. And right before she buried him, she put it in the casket. Right? <laughs> now, our human nature, we want to hold on to. We want to cling and all these different things. And yet the Bible says God is calling us to generosity. But listen to this statement in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself. Paul says, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. In our temporary, earthly, short-range view, when we think of giving, we often think of what is being lost. But what God is saying from heaven's perspective, get, get your head above the temporary moment, from heaven's point of view, what we give to him, how we give to him, it matters beyond the here and now. It is a profit to your account. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, when we give generously and sacrificially and faithfully for the glory of God and for the good of others, I'm telling you, there is an eternal reward. There's an eternal dividend for all who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we give, how we give, and why we give to the Lord matters in eternity. One of our preachers said it this way, you can't take it with you when you go, but thank God you can and send it on ahead. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. Paul's real joy was not in what the gift did for him. It was in what the gift did for them. Many of you today have been here at Crosslink and you have been through the process of membership where you have attended in the past what we call a lunch with the pastors. And now it's been revised and we call it a discovery dinner and those of us in COVID season are trying to figure out what that looks like in the fall at this point. But one of the things we say loud and clear as it relates to generosity, and we genuinely mean that here at Crosslink, is this. When it comes to your generosity, it is not about what we want, we want from you. It is about what we want for you. Because we recognize in this matter of giving unto the Lord, it matters in eternity. What we give today may seem like a decrease in our earthly account, but it is put forward to our eternal account. And can I say to you that what we give to the Lord and what we give for eternity is the surest investment you'll ever make in your life. All kind of investments you can make in our day today, but there is little to no guarantee about any of our earthly investments. My son, Mac, took an economics class this past semester. And all of a sudden, he was interested in the stock market. And I'd be watching the news, and he'd be like, oh, Dad, that one's going up. Oh, that one's going down. The next day, the one that was going up was going down. And he asked me, well, what does all this mean? And I would say, it means absolutely nothing. It is all uncertain. That's what it means. I was watching the news a few months ago on this whole COVID season, and Lane looked up, nine years old. Dad, what are all the red arrows for? Because you live in a broken world, sweetheart. That's exactly what those red arrows are for, okay? There's not a sure investment this side of heaven. But I'm telling you, everything you invest in eternity matters and is important. 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, as he looks at the focus of the rich man, the rich man ultimately was focused on what he could have. He was focused not on who it came from. He was not focused on what he could give. He was focused on more for himself, what he could build, what he could enjoy, his pleasures, his experiences. And Jesus looked at him in Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. And the Bible says, God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you've prepared? Listen to this summary. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let me ask you a question. Are you rich towards God? Are you giving as little as possible so that you can live in comfort today? Or are you giving so that there's profit, as Paul says here in verse 17, which increases to your account? Third, I want you to see the purpose of generosity. I've got to move quickly, but notice the purpose of generosity. What is the primary goal? Is the primary goal of generosity simply to give to meet someone's need? Is the primary goal of generosity uh, just just for eternity? But the Bible tells us several things here about our generosity that stand out here in verse 18. The fact of the matter is you may be generous to someone and they may not appreciate it. You may be generous to someone and frankly, they may completely take it for granted and blow it and have nothing to show for it. Truth of the matter is you can even at times give to the work of the Lord and it may not accomplish what you were envisioning or what you were hoping to that extent. But here's a motivation for giving. What should our purpose be? I love what Paul says in verse 18. He says, I've received everything in full. I have an abundance. I'm not asking for anything. I'm amply supplied. I've received the gift that you've given. But listen to this statement. Listen to how God sees your generosity, believer. Philippian believer, I understand it's been a challenging situation. I know you've been in a place of deep poverty, and yet in the midst of that, you've sacrificially given to the Lord. But I want you to see how God sees your gift. Here's what he says. I receive what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Here's what your generosity is. I know from your perspective at times, it's challenging. I know from your perspective at times, it's sacrificial. I know sometimes you don't understand it and it's hard. I know you may not understand and see all the fruit of it immediately, but I want you to see from God's perspective, when God looks at your gift and your faith in him and your gratitude to him, when God sees your dependence upon him, here's what he sees when you give. Abundance of beauty. It is very accepting to God. It is pleasing to him in every way. When I think about this type of sacrifice and generosity, I cannot help but to think of Mark chapter 14. When Jesus is there, the Bible says reclining at the table. And all of a sudden, a lady walks into the room. It seems like she comes completely unannounced and without a single word. And the Bible says she has this alabaster vial of, of, of pure nard. It's this precious ointment. And the Bible says she, she breaks it and she pours it upon the feet of Jesus. And she literally anoints his feet. And, and the fragrance of that smell, the entire room began to smell that fragrant aroma. And the self-righteous Judas and other people, can you believe she did that? What a waste. Can can you, look, I can't believe Jesus allowed her to do that. Don't you know we could have sold that precious ointment? We could have gotten so much money. We could have given it to the poor. Why would she do that to Jesus? Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 14. Let her alone. Why do you bother her? For she has done a good deed to me. 
She has done what she could. What a summary statement. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Listen, Jesus is saying, she's done a good deed to me. It's been pleasing to me before it's too late. While she has opportunity, while she's been given the resource, while I'm here in this house, she's come and she's offered and she's worshiped and she's been generous and she's done what she could. I don't know about you, but for me, that causes me to pause and examine. Honestly, it causes me conviction. Because here's the question of examination. Have I done what I could? In my giving and in my living, in my generosity, am I doing what I can or am I only doing what's comfortable and convenient? Am I doing what I can or am I doing what's easy? Am I doing what really comes at little sacrifice or or of little significance? Am I doing what I can? If I were the one in the house that day, would Jesus say he's done what he could? Or do you would say there's so much more that should have been done. Our ambition, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, is that we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. May it be said of us today that even in our generosity, our greatest purpose, our greatest desire is to literally be pleasing to our Lord. That our generosity would be exactly this, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. In other words, when we practice generosity, We are demonstrating through our actions that we know that God is our provider, that we are grateful for his grace and kindness, and that we are trusting he will meet our needs. However, when we refuse to live generously, we are depending on our own control, dismissing God's provisions and doubting God's promises. My prayer for us is that we will recognize the purpose is ultimately to bring glory and honor to God. And finally, I want you to see this. We see the promise of generosity. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? With the mask, it sounds like, all right, okay, we'll go with that, all right. The promise. God gives us a word of such sweet comfort, assurance, a word of promise for those who live their life in this way. Now, there's a disclaimer before we read this promise. This is not for some... uh, Carnal believer to say, see here, God promised this, so I'm going to sit back lazily and do nothing, and then I'm going to expect God to do this. I have known many, many, many believers, professing believers, who were unwilling to work, who had lazy attitudes, and then they claimed God was a liar when there wasn't food on their table. To those who honor God, here's what he says in verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs, not your greeds, all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God basically says to those who honor him, I will meet your needs and I will take care of you. Think of the Apostle Paul for a moment. Paul's in a place where the Philippian believers have now blessed him and furthered the work of the Lord through their generosity, really in abundant and beautiful ways. And yet Paul knows the poverty that they have lived in. Paul's aware that their generosity has been so sacrificial, they likely now have some greater needs than they had before. But Paul speaks of the inspiration, the direction of the Holy Spirit to say, 
but there's a word of promise. Here it is. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, God is not broke. He owns it all. And my God, the same God that you know and love and serve and are honoring through your generosity, he is going to take care of you. David said it this way in Psalm 37 verse 25. I have been young and now I am old yet. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. God will take care of his children. You may give and you may give generously, but I want you to know you will never outgive God. I want to share an illustration that maybe illustrates that point in a very practical way. And, and my hope is that it's not taken wrongly. Please understand by giving this illustration, I am not saying and I am certainly not suggesting that if you give to the Lord that God's going to bless you a hundredfold, that if you give to the Lord, he's going to make you a million. That's not at all what the Bible preaches. I realize there are many in our day today that will use that as a tool for manipulation and coercion to get you to give. That is not at all what the Bible preaches. But God does promise to meet the needs of those who honor him. When we were in Christiansburg several years ago, we were blessed in a church body and we met in a small building that had 20 pews. And I remember those little pews, they, they told me that they seated 10 people but if you had adults on that pew, you could not get more than seven or eight, depending on how big Thanksgiving dinner it was. And so we would pack out at about 160 uh, people or so. And I remember we had the first service, and then the church grew and we went to two services. And by the time we were praying about a third service, we determined that it was time to build a building. But we had major questions about the financial provisions of that building. Our first initial estimates that we had taken to contractors was like $3 million, and we were nowhere near that And so we began to pray about what God wanted us to do. We, we found a plan that we thought was reasonable and feasible, and we shared that vision with the church. And I remember us going through this process of challenging our church body to pray about and consider what God would have everyone, have them to give. And I remember we had a, a kind of a period of commitment where people were committing what they were going to give really over the coming year towards getting this project off the ground. I'll never forget one of the gentlemen in the church who frankly was one of the most humble, modest men I've ever known. One of the most faithful, quiet servants. He's not the person you would ever see talking in front of someone, but just so humble, lived a very modest life. And I remember after our time of commitment, him asking if we could meet. I'll never forget this because as he came and met with me, I remember him coming in tears. And I remember his tears were such that I remember thinking in that moment, Someone has passed away or there's a serious sin issue that he's confessing. Like he was very emotional. As we finally began to talk, I began to realize the source of his emotion wasn't sin and it wasn't death. It was over the reality that he desired, genuinely and humbly, sincerely desired to be able to give more to bless the work of the Lord. I'd never met someone so broken over a lack of ability to give. Never forget that. He's the first person in my life that ever genuinely asked me, Pastor, would you pray for me that God will allow me to give more? He faithfully gave to the Lord his tithe, but he desired to do something specifically in that time in regards to the building. And I, and I prayed with him. And I'll never forget, as we wrapped up that time, he, 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 he said, listen, there's not a lot I can do, but I've figured out if I make these adjustments throughout my, my month, at the end of the month, I can give $20 towards this. 
$20 for many of us, that might, that might be a significant amount of money, but for many of us, it's not. And, and so I was like, praise the Lord, that's awesome. God knows your heart, brother. And the only people on the, on the face of the earth who knew this were me and him and his wife. And so that's what we prayed about. I will never forget, we went into that process and people were giving and he committed to give that $20 a month. We got through that first year and most everybody had given what they had pledged and he continued to give that $20 a month. Probably month 14, month 15, I'll never forget him calling me one day, excited like a kid on Christmas morning to tell me, pastor, this happened in my life. I'm getting this little bit of a raise. And so now I'm gonna give $20 a month, $20 twice a month. So to be the first and the third. And I was like, man, that's incredible. And most people don't disclose that, but we We've been praying about it. That was 2012. You know, would you believe that from th that moment to the time God called me away in June of 2016, not only had he continued to do that every month, but by the time I left, most months in addition to his tithe, he was giving $20 a week towards missions and outreach in the community. I'm not telling you that when you give to the Lord, God's gonna bless you with an extra $20 every week. Please don't hear that. But I do want you to hear this. When we honor God with a pure heart, with a willing and cheerful, sacrificial spirit, I just want you to know, you are never gonna outgive God. As that man lived his life with an open hand to bless the Lord and to bless others, you know what he experienced? He experienced time and time again that God continually had something in his hand to give. And not only today has that man become one of the most just modest, humble men I know, by God's grace, he's also become one of the most generous. When I think of ways that I need to grow in generosity, I think of that faithful brother. Back in May, I had the opportunity to preach a funeral in Christiansburg of one of the leaders who served with me there. And sure enough, at the end of the funeral, I was walking out and I saw in the back of the crowd this man and I was grateful for the opportunity to hug his neck and say, you will never know what your example of generosity has done for me. Paul looked at the Philippian believers and he said, I praise God, but I commend you. And he closed with a statement, verse 20. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, it's not about our name. It's not about our praise. It's not about what we gave or what we did. It's all about the glory and praise of God. By the way, how do we learn to be generous? Where do we learn it first? I believe we learn to be generous, not merely from the Philippians or even from Paul, but by first looking to God, who God in his grace and his mercy and generosity, who demonstrated for us that God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. When you and I had nothing to give, when you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, when you and I were the lowest of lows, God so loved us that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And because God gave, it is a joy to know him and it is a joy to honor him by living generously for his glory and the good of others. I pray that we'll find that joy today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for this time together. Thank you for the example that we see here in the book of Philippians of generosity. Father, that goes against our human nature and frankly, it goes against everything that the world says. And yet at the same time, God, we know that we learn to give because you first gave sacrificially, abundantly, willingly, 
you gave your very son so that we could be rescued from our sin, set free, so that we literally could have a relationship with you that the riches of heaven would be offered to us through Jesus Christ. God, I pray today that if we don't hear anything else in the context of this message, I pray today that we will have made the decision to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And having received him, may we not live like the world around us living for self, but instead, may we live in such a way that everything we say and do, everything we give, that it would all be for your glory and your praise. I pray in Jesus' name. Have your way in our hearts right now. May we respond in a way that would bring you pleasure and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.